0: Amen? Amen. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. How many enjoyed Bishop John last weekend? My goodness. We'll still be unpacking him in our city, spend a lot of time with city leaders, city officials, sowing seeds of reconciliation. And um, can't wait to see him again in Rwanda as well. We he invited Coco and I to his house for dinner. Amen. It, it's amazing um, to the relationships that God forms in the body of Christ. But I want to get back into the letter uh, to the Galatians. We're in chapter four now, and I want to talk to you basically from the first seven verses of chapter four this morning. And um, if you got a digital printout, it's good. A digital readout is good. It'll be on the board as well. But uh, Galatians chapter four, verse one says this. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, and remember, this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. He is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. Underline that in your Bible, highlighted adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Touch your name and say, we're not slaves anymore. Turn around and look at somebody and say, we're not slaves, we're sons, daughters. So you are no longer a slave but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And I wanna talk to you this morning about what it means to be adopted by God. Because you and I, there's a spiritual truth here to be gathered. And as I was reading through the book of Galatians, immediately when this last summer, when I was sketching out the outlines for this series, I immediately knew that out of all of the messages in the book of Galatians and all the sermons that we're going to preach, I want to make sure that I preach the adoption one because it resonates so dearly with my heart. Now, those of you, how many got kids right now? Raise your hand right now. You got kids? Okay, wave at me. If you got kids, they give you headaches. There you go, right there. All right. And some of you got your kids sitting next to you. I got you. Put your hand down put your hand down. (laughs) But, But here's the deal with your kids. Here's the truth. You didn't choose them. You didn't pick them. They came to you as they are. You love them unconditionally. They're your kids. You provide for them. You protect them. You put up with them. You counsel them. You love them. They have no idea how much you love them. Even now, how many got adult children and they still don't have any idea how much you love them, how much you pray for them, care for them? Yes, I know. Now, Here's here's the truth of the matter, though. Adoption is different. Adoption is different. Because adoption is somebody that's saying, out of the overflow of love in my heart, I am setting as a choice, as as a decision, as an act of the will to love another that is not biologically connected to me, that 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 truthfully, there is no, there's, there's nothing other than the fact of acting by will and unconditional love that I would choose and adopt and bring this person into our family. And so there are certain people in our church that I know of, like in the early service, there's a woman that I know that has been adopted. And because she was adopted, guess what she did? She passed on that love. She knows what it feels like to be abandoned and, and left under whatever the circumstances were. She then adopted a girl of her own. And so there's this sense that people do that all the time, by the way. It's just this wonderful demonstration of love, and it prefigures and shows us and foreshadows the magnificent love of God toward humanity and how that he loves the unlovable. In some cases, I don't know if you've known some people like this, but in some cases, there are people that that decide not just to pick a child, because sometimes minority children are the last children picked, and certain ethnic children are the last children picked. But but they go above and beyond even that, and they pick a child that's developmentally challenged, handicapped, deformed, and, and, and they love and they take on the weight and the burden of that willingly. Come on, somebody. How many know that's love? Touch your name and say, that's love. Well, much in the same way, you need to recognize that all of humanity has been orphaned and cut off from the love and the connection of God through sin, through our original parents, Adam and Eve. They literally dropped us when they rebelled against God. All of humanity that stretches out from them is cut off and there's the spirit of an orphan that's in the, in, on the planet. And every one of us, I don't know whether you recognize it or not, no matter what kind of family you come from, some of you come from great families. And you said, man, my mom and dad, they were there for us. Even in that family, there's brokenness. Because every human family is broken. No matter what you try to do, no matter what I've tried to do with my kids, I've, I've got enough sense to know that I'm a broken man trying to raise these children. Even though we tried to raise them in Christ, some of what ailed me ails them. Come on, y'all. How many of you know? How many of you have been praying that, that whatever you've gone through in your life, you didn't pass it on to your children? Yeah, some of you got two hands in the air waving at me. I got you. And so there is this sense that Adam and Eve's nature was passed to us, that fallen nature. And all of us then, whether whether you're from a good family or bad family, find ourselves all looking for a people, a place, a person that we can belong to. Right, And and just because you're married doesn't mean that that desire gets extinguished. Because I was married to my wife, loved her. She was giving me everything she could give me, but it was going into a bottomless pit. Because there's a part in me that's designed only for God. There's a part of me that only finds the rest in him. That's why some of us find ourselves on carousels of relationships, going around and around and one after the other, trying to find the one or the person and this type of thing And You can never find the person until you find yourself in him who created you. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. And so there's this sense that we're looking for a place. Is there a place that I can belong. And just so you know, it's, it, it's more than just coming to church. It's more than you just doing time for the next 40 minutes listening to me because it's, it, you're called to do more than just believe with people. I mean, no, it's not. You know, it's funny to me. When I first gave my life to the Lord, I belonged before I ever knew what they really believed. I didn't even check the statement of faith. I didn't even check. I didn't even know what a denomination or organization or, or all of that was. I just knew that I was a part of this different kind of family, and they kept calling each other brother and sister, and they talked about God in an intimate way that I had never known before. And people started calling him father, and I'm like, I don't know about that one, because me and my father, we got some issues. And so I was superimposing my relationship earthly, with my earthly father onto my heavenly father, and it was hard for me to connect, but but here's what I couldn't deny. They allowed me to belong, even though I was a hot mess. Come on, y'all. How many know you a hot mess in here right now? Yeah, the ones that don't know, y'all the ones that's problems. The ones that, the ones of us that know that we got issues, that's the great group. The other ones, we gotta convince you that you got them. Mm-hmm. And you're not just called to believe, you're called to belong. There's this difference in believing. When you believe, all of a sudden somebody does something, you're out the back door, nobody even knows you gone. Nobody knew when you came and nobody knows when you're gone. When you belong to a place, say belong. belong. No, 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 that's like five of you. Say belong. belong. No, no, say it with some vigor. Say belong. belong. When you belong, you set down roots. When you belong, you want to be known and know others. You're not just slipping out. So the last service, I never go to that back door. I always go, when I, when I greet people, I usually go to this door. But I went to the back door because I saw like 60 people just never hit that spot and go out. We have to set up a little gauntlet out this door. We had to set some love at this door, because there was like 30% of our church heading out the north door, and they were just going, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait. They were like, oh my God, Pastor Keith!" you know, it's like, like where y'all going? You know. It's like, Come here and give me some love right now. But you know what? Every week people slip in and out of here. I can't catch everybody. So you gotta do more than just becoming to church and sitting in your seat and Good word, PK, and you worried about lunch and worried about the one o'clock football game. Yeah, I know. Put your hand down. You shouldn't have told me that. Lock the doors. We ain't going nowhere. You're going to watch the Seahawks anyway. They're going to lose. Ooh, Jesus, help me. But but the riches of the church is not found in... Theological articles of in incorporation and theological statements, the riches of a place is known in the relationships that you have. Are you known by anybody? Does anybody know you? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. I mean, some of you are like, yep, I got you, but some of you are sitting here, nobody knows you. You don't know anybody. This church could be no more intimate than a lunch counter for you. You're missing the life source of a church when you don't belong to a place. God is not calling you to belong. Or, or to believe and be a part of an organization. He's calling you into his family to belong as a member. Like, like we belong to one another. Like, let me borrow your car, hello somebody. <laughs> like, I remember my wife got a clue in this theologically. It's funny how, how we pick up things and metaphorically God uses and hijacks them for truth. And I told my wife, I said, we live in Oregon and there's all these lakes and different things. And, and I said, we need a boat. She was like, You don't even know how to swim. I was like, That doesn't matter. There's life jackets. And you know how to swim, so we're good. We need a boat. And she was like, She was like, Honey, you really don't need a boat because you got 15 brothers that all have boats. Just go on a boat with one of them. And I was like, Yeah, that's New Testament. Cold figure. I remember the moment that I recognized that I belonged to God, that I was His, and that, that it did something in my soul and brought healing to me in a way that nothing else had in my entire life, because you know what we do. And, and I don't know whether you recognize it or not because you're all adults now, but, but how many of you know there's a part of us that's like a middle school kid at lunchtime or in elementary school, and you grab your tray or whatever it is, your food, and you start heading, and you know what you're doing. You're looking across the room to try to find some people to belong to, to sit down with, to be seen by, to be known by, and we just walk around, and we we do it differently as adults. We go from job to job to job. We go from accomplishment to achievement. We go to education. We go to people. We go to sex. We go to everything, to money, to toys, to guns. Oh, we love our guns. Yes, I do. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) We go through everything trying to find. Some of you got more cars and motorcycles and boats and cars. And what it is, is you can never extinguish the thirst and the hunger that your soul desires. And it finds it only in relationship with God the Father. Say this with me. We've been adopted by God. That's what the scripture says in verse 7, you are no longer a slave but God's child. Doesn't matter where else you've been. Doesn't matter who didn't choose you, neglected you, abandoned you, abused you, or loved you well. It doesn't matter. Your soul still needs and recognizes this need when you start thirsting for these things and people and it's never enough. You know, I love Jesus' ministry because this pinpoint, both be, the beginning and the end of his life, is accentuated with words from heaven from his Father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased at the beginning of his ministry. This is my beloved son. Listen to him at the end of his ministry. Both times, Jesus receives an audible word. When's the last time you heard the spirit of the Lord calling you his? Because once he does, you're ruined for the rest of your life. Now, I would love for everybody to love me. I would love for everybody to think well of me. And, you know, I'm too loud for some people, too quiet for others, black enough for some, not black enough for others. I got all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, here's what I know about me. I'm uniquely and wonderfully made. I'm God's son and he loves me. That fortifies me. You know why? Because there's some Sundays I come here, you're like, PK, that's a good word. Ooh, praise the Lord. And then some Sundays you come you're like, I can't wait to church to be over. What's wrong with him? Either way, on both days, I'm God's son. And it secures me from having to be connected to the whims of people. How many of you found yourself in certain groups of people in certain seasons and you found favor? And all of a sudden, for no reason of your own, you don't even know why, it just got distant and disconnected. Well, somebody chose you and loved you, and all of a sudden, they changed their mind. Somebody promised you, even maybe gave you a ring and said, I will love you through thick and thin. And all of a sudden, thin came and they were gone. That's not the Lord. This is why it's so important for you to understand this truth about God. And and the word adoption in the Greek is literally a a combination of two words, which, which, which in definition means to place or to set as a son. You and I have been placed into God's family. Now watch this. This instantly happens. We watched it happen for six people this morning, weeping at the altar, just crying and just thanking out of gratitude, not shame, just gratitude that God, the God of heaven, would choose them. Have you ever been someone's choice? Have you ever been someone's choice? That's only five of you. I don't know if you recognize, but I'm a black preacher. That means you need to talk to me at the same time. I'm preaching. You're not interrupting me. It's not being rude. Talk to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. To be chosen is a powerful thing. And to also be rejected is a wound that cuts deep and is hard to heal. But instantly, the minute that you name Christ, you are placed, set into God's family now some of you say yeah but I don't know everything and I don't understand the theology and and I don't understand this and that, and that. It doesn't matter that, that that's not it's not about what you know it's about whose you are not what you know not what you do but you don't know what I've done and I still got issues and I'm still wrestling. yes who in here doesn't have issues I'm looking for you because we you are like a unicorn if you're in here I want you to come right to the stage right now if you don't have any issues And if you come, I'm gonna lay hands on you because something's wrong with you. (laughs) To be chosen, God's choice, to be set in His family, not as some second class citizen. Now, watch this. The minute you say yes, you are placed in God's family with full rights and full privileges. Immediately, you have access relationally connected, also positionally, you've been given God's authority. Now, the only way I can think about this is thinking about my children when they figured out that I was the pastor of their church when they were little. And and they started running around. I remember the Sunday that the Sunday school teacher came out because Keith Jr. let her know that he didn't have to listen because his dad was the pastor. Oh yeah, you know what happened. I'm like, your dad is the pastor. Bring your tail over here right now. What he was doing he was in, he was inappropriately exerting his privilege as a son. His dad was indeed in charge. He was the pastor's son, but he didn't understand. in, in, a, in a way, he didn't understand. Immaturely, he didn't understand how he was supposed to, you know, live appropriately under, underneath that authority. The simple fact of the matter is, is you are God's child. You have authority. There's fears and anxieties and sickness and disease and lack and want. all these things that are subject to those that are outside the family. How many know if you're in the Rockefeller family, the Kennedy family, the LeBron James family, the Michael Jordan family, there's certain privileges that come with that. Are y'all not talking to me this morning? You are God's child. In the old time, there were signet rings. The signet ring was given as a symbol of the family's wealth, the family's power. And and when that signet ring was put on something, people would recognize it. Oh, my God, I know where that comes from. They would immediately understand, do you not know that the spirit of the Lord is the seal placed on you, that you have his power, his authority entrusted in you? You are not some helpless person. That, well, I just, my mind just goes crazy. Your mind doesn't just go crazy. You're letting it go crazy because you're not appropriating your authority. There's a part of you that should be saying, no, in the name of Jesus, what do we say? In the authority, in the family that I belong to, I come against poverty, lack and want. I come against sickness and disease. I come against loneliness and anxiety. I have authority and power because I belong to the family of God. Now give the Lord a hand clap. It's good news. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm chosen by God. Ephesians 4, 1, 4 through 5 says, for he chose us, listen to this, in him, who's him, Jesus, before the creation of the world. I got to stop there for a second because I know, so, so sometimes you get chosen because of something you do. How many of you have ever been chosen because of something you do? How many, you know, pretty girls get chosen because they're pretty. And, and tall guys get chosen because they're tall. And, and different ones get chosen because they drive a thing or wear a thing. Whatever, I got you. But all of us got chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So before you did anything right, wrong, or different, you were chosen. Ah, y'all don't, do y'all hear what I'm saying? Young people, do you hear what I'm saying? You were chosen before you did anything wrong. So cancel culture doesn't affect you because you're already chosen. You weren't trying to apply for something. You weren't trying to validate yourself for some group of people. Why? Because you already belong to the one person who matters above everyone else. What is his name? What? That's right. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Paul continually five different times in the New Testament uses this variation of the word adoption to symbolize the God's relationship to his people that we've been selected. Now, it's very difficult for you to understand Jesus and understand the family of God if you don't have good family understanding. Because God's not some distant deity that's looking down on the earth from a distance. He is a father. And Paul uses and writes in the New Testament familial language. So when he talks about God, he says, Father God. He's a father. When the disciples say, hey, we see you go off and, and you know, you go off in the morning, you go off at night and you pray. Teach us to pray. How do you pray? He says, well, the first thing you got to do is say this. Our distant deity on a planet far, far away. <laughs> oh, most holy, auspicious God, king of the universe, righteous king of justice, king of kings, Lord of No, no, no. He says, our Father, which art in heaven. What is he doing? Intimacy, closeness, imminence, not transcendence, imminence in that moment. I understand that God's transcendent. I understand that God is omnipotent, omniscient. I understand all that. But I also understand that he understands my slightest whisper, and he draws close to me in my brokenness. More than that, I understand that that my father, who sits on the throne, I got it, Who's the earth is his footstool and the heavens is his throne, I understand how vast and big my God is. And I also understand that in a time of need, according to Hebrews chapter 4, I can run straight to my daddy, right to that throne, jump up on that throne in my daddy's lap and say, Daddy, I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do with Coco's. I don't know what we're going to do with these kids. I don't know what we're going to do with money. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how, what. They're looking to me for answers, and I'm looking to you because you're my dad. Now, you may never had a relationship like that with your dad where you felt that type of closeness and intimacy, but I'm telling you, you got a different father now. He's adopted you, and you have access to him. Come on. Literally, the creation story from Genesis 1 and 2 unfolds. All of God's dealings unfold through a family, albeit a broken one, but it proceeds from a family. Amen? Now, there is this sense of children that, that I want you to understand. So when we're, when we're reading adoption, you've got to take your 21st century glasses off and you have to put your lenses through Paul's glasses and see, because Paul is talking about adoption with the backdrop of the Roman empire and his time. He's constrained and speaking in a certain time period. And so there's imagery. When we say certain things, how many you hear certain songs and it reminds you of a certain environment, a certain time, isn't that right? And so Paul, when he is saying adoption, there are things that he has experienced, things that he's seen, things that he knows culturally from being a Roman, living in the Roman empire underneath of their control and seeing their culture unfold that he understands. You need to understand that children were not prized in Rome the way they're prized in Israel. In Israel, children are seen as a great blessing and symbolic of God's favor and blessing on someone's life. And conversely, the opposite when it's not there. But in Rome, children were discarded routinely. Child exposure was a big deal in Rome. Like like kids being left and killed and, and just, you know, just left to themselves. That was not uncommon. There were reasons for this. Like, number, like, there's a couple. Like, number one right off the top of my head is poverty to limit the sizes of families. It would just routinely just cast the child off. Or girls. Hello, ladies. Amen. Amen. Girls were not particularly prized. They tried to keep the ratio of girls to men at a certain level to make sure that the ladies didn't outnumber the men to a certain degree. So, we went, so routinely, little girls were left. Not to mention if, if a child had, hand, had a handicap or birth defects. And not to mention there was just a need for slaves to be sold. So children routinely just sold at a price. And so you need to understand that, that, that Paul is, when he talks about adoption, this has to be in the back of his mind. And, and Christians had a great witness and testimony because there would be hillsides where these children would be just be left. Child would be born with de- birth defect or something was wrong, was less than perfect or inconvenienced, and they would just leave the child. And the Christians would hear these children, the cries of these children off in the hillside and routinely go and get them and place them, or watch this, set them in their family. Amen. They would immediately receive the blessing of Abraham. They were in the covenant now relationship that God had with Israel. Are you with me right now? Amen. And so these kids who had no future, no connection, no privilege, no anything were set in these families. This was the testimony of Christians in antiquity. And so you and I have to understand that in light of what Paul is saying, he's viewing God in this way, Picking through humanity and selecting and choosing those who are not desirable. Which, by the way, how many notice in our culture, there's always somebody with a label that's an other. Whether it's ethnic others. And we were talking about this, you know, we were in Spokane, not very far from an Indian reservation. And we were talking with a friend of ours with some black-white issues. And I thought, you know, we talk about racism in America and this and that and the next thing. And it's true, but, but we're miles from a reservation where Native Americans are still left. Not even talked about when we have the conversation. Well, what about people with sexual orientation issues in the church Routinely, just gives them the scarlet letter and just casts them aside as if their sin is any different than heterosexual sin. Oh, y'all not talking to me this morning. Keep looking straight ahead. Nobody even knows you. But isn't it funny how you can come into church, be sleeping with your girlfriend or whatever, and all of a sudden somebody comes in that may be transgender and in transition, and all of a sudden the church is, oh my God, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? They're God's children. Which, which, by the way, it, it amazes to me whenever we put a label on some group or some category, some people, it's always us and them. There are no us and them with God. They're all his children. He loves them all. Oh. Left, right, moderate, liberal, Republican, transgender, whatever you want to call it. Poor, rich, educated, uneducated, fat, skinny. Come on. All God's children. And you know what? At a given moment, he would adopt and place them on your row in church. Thank you. Oh, Coco, thank you. You hear what she said? She said, do it, Lord. You know why I want him to do it? Because I was one of those that didn't have a place or a family or a place to belong. And I had my own set of issues. Most of them you wouldn't have known because they weren't external. They were internal, and you wouldn't have known it unless you got close to me. And it's funny how some people have their stuff hidden inside, and you can't tell. But other people, their sin is pronounced on the outside, or their brokenness is pronounced on the outside, and they immediately get judged. And God hears their cry. They're lonely. They're rejected. They're abandoned. They're cast off the church doesn't know what to do with them because we're so busy worrying about politics and all kinds of nonsense. And God's like, can't you hear the cry of my children? Don't you see that they're helpless and, and harassed and there's a harvest of them. And the church that will open their hearts up them might find them the same thing is happening in ukraine and these keep these people are coming and and i wonder if you guys are like saying yes just come we don't know what to do with you but come stay with us we don't have enough food but come stay with us we don't know how we're gonna get enough blankets but come sleep underneath the blanket with me because i've been a child of god that needed a place that needed a space that needed a place to belong and god chose me set me in his family provided me for everything that i had i'll share it with you come please what if the church remembered that each and every member was adopted? What if you remember that? Especially those of us that have been saved a little while. What if you remembered, and it's funny because in the early service, some of them got saved in the Jesus people movement back in the day. And I, I said to them, I said, what if, what if you remembered when you came to church for the first time with booty shorts on and a halter top? And I know now you just, you know, Miss So-and-so, and you got, you got a good name, and you're a grandma now. But you were born to be wild back then. <laughs> Only the people that remember born to be wild are laughing right now, you understand. <laughs> you know what's funny? It, it's, it's sad, but the church expects you to be cleaned up before you get here. And, and it's happening right now. I grew up in a black church, so, so it's a little bit different. And and if you were a woman that came in to our church and your dress, let's just say for instance, ladies, your dress was too short, and you were coming to church because all you had was a club dress and you came in your little dress. And you know what the ladies in the church would do? They'd just get you a nice little blanket and cover you up, and everybody would know you wore inappropriate clothes that Sunday, and we cover you up, make you humiliate you, under the guise of helping you get right with God. Which is why the first thing people ask when they, you know, want to come to church is, what should I wear? Because why? Because they don't know if they can belong if they're not dressed right. I almost wore my Dodger jersey this morning. I'm going to wear my Ravens jersey next Sunday because they got a better outcome. Come on. Wear your football jersey. Let's have some talk next Sunday. What if we remember we were adopted, Emmanuel? What if we remember that pain? And what if, but, but what if we remember the joy of being chosen? You remember the first time you heard the good news of the gospel and you found out that you could belong in God? Even though you come from the family, you come from, dealt with what you dealt with, but you found out that God chose you. What, what if you kept that memory in the front of your mind, not the back of your mind, so that every time you've seen somebody that was less than adequate, whatever that is, you would remember your own self and you see yourself in them every time. Are you with me? So, so, so now watch this. When you get adopted, you get a new identity. And, and some people didn't even know what their identity was from the beginning. They don't know what family they come from. They don't understand anything. But, but when they get adopted... They get a new identity. They get new privileges. They get new rights in this new family. So it is with God. You've got new privileges in Christ, new rights, new benefits. It's all new. Corey, I think about you a lot. I wonder what goes through your mind we talked about this stuff in in Rwanda for breakfast and the idea that you were selected. And then the fact that you guys are sitting right in front of me and that you selected, out of being selected, a child of your own to love. Who, by the way, has some nice Jordans on. What size are those little man? My size. You got it right. That's right. This is the gospel sitting in front of me while I'm preaching it. Do you you recognize that he chose you? That you've been selected as a son, placed in the family, and y'all sitting in front of me with J's on together. It's good to be in the family. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. And you get me as an uncle because you got placed in the family. And you got all of these people as well. So the question I'd have for some of you this morning, especially some of you that have been in Christ for a while... Are you still acting like an orphan when you're a son or a daughter? I want you to do a little introspection. Are you responding and walking through life as if you haven't been adopted by your heavenly father? Here's how you'll know, listen to this. Orphans never feel secure, they're always insecure. Relationally, insecure in every relationship they're a part of. You you find, are we okay, Are are we good, are we okay? Yeah, we're good, relax. Well, they can't because they're never secure. They're always dislocated. That's part of the orphan spirit. Sons and daughters, on the other hand, operate from a position of security because they're secured in the Father's love, not their performance. Are y'all hearing me? Orphans can't rejoice. Orphans never rejoice at other people's blessings or promotions. There's always a spirit of envy and competition that wells up in them, as if somebody's taking something from them or withholding something from them, never understanding that sons and daughters have access to all of it. It's all theirs because it's their father's. Orphans often medicate the deep internal longings for acceptance and approval through food, shopping, porn sacks, trying to find some way where sons and daughters turn to the presence of their father when they're broken, longing, hurting, thirsting for whatever, and their souls find rest and fulfillment in him. Sons and daughters are not driven by the need for achievement or accomplishment for a sense of work. Look what I've done. Look what I did. The next time your child does that to you, flip it on them. The next time they hand you something in exchange for your love, in exchange for her, in exchange for some act of kindness, take whatever it is they're handing and put it aside and just grab them and say, I just want you. I don't care what you achieved or accomplished. You can't hand me an accomplishment or achievement to make me love you. I love you. I set my love on you. That way you'll start dismantling the works and performance mentality that's built in them from the word go. Just love them for being, not for doing. I want every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment of time. Let's come against, if you're here, let's come against the spirit of an orphan. And for the rest of you, recognize that you've been chosen by God. You might have been here and come into church, somebody invited you. I don't know how you got here. But I want you to spend some time over the next few moments just pondering the acceptance of God, the love of God that comes to you through Jesus Christ.
1: And such a good father. So help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lies and sees the truth. Oh. Father's love, even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love, even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Jesus.
0: wonder if there's somebody here, maybe only one, that this whole message crescendos into a moment where you get to come home to the Father's love, where you get to experience being chosen by him, reconciled to him through Jesus Christ, recognizing that the price for your reconciliation has already been paid, but you have to accept it, you have to acknowledge it. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Keith, you know, before you close this message, would you pray with me so that I could be placed into the family of God, not join the church, but to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God? That He made a way through that cross for me to be reconciled to Him. And I want that this morning. If that's you, lift your hand and say, I want that. All over the place. I see your hand, man. I see your hand. Who else? Just said, "That's me. I I want that." Did you mean it? You mean it? Come here. I want to pray with you right now. Come on out of your seat, John. Give them a big hand as they come this morning. Come on. Come on. All of heaven is rejoicing. Good morning, good morning. You know what I think in these moments? Don't always wonder what's going on in my mind? You know what I'm thinking right now? I'm thinking of what it felt like the Sunday that I made the same walk that you just made. Recognizing how much courage it took in a room this big. In the room I was in, there was 800 people in it. I'll never forget it. Because it was the moment that I met Jesus. It was a moment that I acknowledged that he was indeed who he said he was, the savior of the world. But then that moment, he wasn't the savior of the world. He became my savior personally. That I acknowledged my sin to him, my rebellion and stubbornness. And I said, God, thank you. I want your life, not this one. And he came in, changed my life. And so every Sunday, when I stand in this place, If you ever wonder what's going through his mind, that's what's going through my mind. Who is going to make the same walk that I made and have that life turn completely around, heading in a different direction, and being placed in the family of God? Give them another big hand right now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray, not out loud for them, just between you and the Lord. Have a moment where you get to say, God, Yes, for me. From now on, you get to be the Lord of my life. I believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. I believe that he died for the sins of the world, but more importantly, for my sins, I accept that sacrifice personally. I want you to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I recognize that I'm not coming to an organization called the church, that I'm coming to be a part of your family called the people of God. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend a few minutes and pray right now, right here. Stand right here. Stretch forth your hand of faith to them right now. Let's believe God with them that what he's starting, he will finish. Come on, stretch forth your hand this way. This could be your son or daughter, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, would they begin? By an act of faith and confession, acknowledging you as Savior, Lord, this moment forward. Lord, help them to keep the vow that they make today by your Spirit. We're not able to keep ourselves. You will do that for us. Lord, in Jesus' name, bless and keep your children. Thank you for our new brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord another big hand clap. So here's what's going to happen. There's some people standing behind you that I want you to go off to the sides with, lower your voice a little bit, but they're going to get some information from you so that we can accompany you on your journey. There's no way I can help you walk if I don't know who you are, can't get in touch with you. But we want to help you finish what you started today. Amen. Go with them off to the side. Take one of the two with you. Come on, give them a big hand. Stand to your feet with me all over the building. Stand to your feet. You know, here's the truth about that message. How many know it's easy to hear something, but it's harder to actually live it out? How many of you standing here all over the building, all in the back? I can see y'all wave at me all in the back, way back there, wave at me, yep. How many of you would say, That you know you're a son or a daughter, but there are times where you revert back as if you're not. Anybody? Yeah, Lift your hand before the Lord right now. Me too. Me too. Lord, thank you for what you've done. It's so magnificent, so wonderful. The best news we ever heard. Lord, forgive us for approaching you at times as if we're orphans and we're not sons and daughters. Forgive us for trying to offer you something in exchange for your love and your approval and your validation. Lord, forgive us for being jealous when other people go forward and we feel as though something has not been given to us, that you withhold something from us. Forgive us for not resting in your presence and in your love. You are Abba, Father, and we are no longer slaves. We are sons. Now, with that knowledge, we're going to sing this chorus. Look at me for a minute. It is imperative that the church reclaim the love of God in this moment. You know why it's so important? Because when you spill out of here, people think they know God by how Christians have acted in the world. That's the only way they'll know. Only way your coworkers will know Jesus, what he's like. What, what is God like? The only way that they'll know is by watching your life. And so when you go, can you go with the knowledge that you've been adopted and chosen and selected by God? And that that's the best news you ever heard. And would you not keep that message to yourself? Would you tell somebody else? Maybe you don't have all the words and all the theology. Just tell them. It's like, hey, you just, I don't know what to say. Just come to church with me on Sunday. My pastor will tell you what to do. But let's sing this song with Tracy as a prayer, as a, tra- as a prayer to bring transformation in our own hearts so that we can be used as agents of love in a world that needs it. Come on, Tracy, help us.
1: And help me to love with open arms like you do A love that erases all the lies and sees the truth that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. And help me to love with those
0: By loving the people that God puts across your path. You say, well, what difference does it make? If every person that knew the the name of Jesus would do their best in their office space, their classroom, on the soccer field, wherever you are, to bring healing to our world through a smile, sharing your lunch or kindness or picking up coffee for the person behind you, whatever it is, do your part to heal our world. Amen. I, I didn't hear you. Yeah. Amen. Listen, Andrew, come here real quick. quick. Quick, quick, quick. Yep, run. Get up here on the stage, boy. Come here. Let's go. So, Andrew was ordained by Foursquare on Sunday, on Saturday. Uh, He's ordained. So, here's what I want to do. We didn't do this in the early service, but I want to do it here. Stretch forth your hand of faith, because he got ordained in front of people he didn't even know. But these are the people that he serves. Look look at me for a minute. This is where he grew up. This is where he was uh, running around here as a kid, acting a fool. But now he's grown up, and there's a call on God in his life. The hand of God is on him. So you don't treat him like he's a kid anymore, because he's not. He's a selected, chosen man of God. And by ordination, he's saying, my life will be for no other purpose. So I know you're familiar with him, especially some of you young people. You're familiar with Andrew because you grew up and you know him, but you don't know him. Because the hand of God is on his life. And there's a calling, and you have to be careful how you treat the men and women of God. That doesn't mean we don't mess with him. That just means there's a line we don't cross anymore because God's using him for his generation. Stretch forth your hand of faith right now. Father, thank you for Andrew. Thank you that he's the son of this house. Thank you for what you've done in his life, for all of the voices and all of the people, including Raj and Deanna, who's spoken into his life, who prayed and, and disciplined and done all that they could do to bring him to this point. Thank you for the entire village that's been surrounded by him, pouring into him, speaking into him. We receive him as a gift. As a voice, as a presence of your love and instruction for a generation. Use Him, Lord. Use Him mightily. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Go with God. God's going to go with you. We love you.